Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What happens is you have a defective DNA coding sequence. And that, that coding sequence, those alphabets in the DNA, uh, are translated into a protein. If that coding sequence is not properly designed, and uh, what, what often will happen is no protein will be made. Or if the protein is made, it's defective. It's not folded properly or it just doesn't function. In myotubular myopathy, that's exactly what happens. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today, we're going to continue to discuss Lincoln Shot, our eight-part serial narrative. You can read the entire series at tampabay.com slash Shot, but here on the podcast, we're walking through the chapters one by one. And it starts with a reading from Lane. This is Chapter 4. Today's topic, The Science. The ballroom at the Hilton Garden Inn in Chicago was packed. Families from across the country wore T-shirts with a logo that promised strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Maggie Hoyle German and Anthony DeLuna stood in the doorway, watching the crowd. Dozens of boys were slumped in wheelchairs, lying on stretchers, hooked up to machines, just like their son. Some were teenagers with thin limbs and long faces, the telltale signs of rare and fatal muscular disorders. This is amazing, Maggie said, squeezing Anthony's arm, and so scary. Lincoln was 19 months old that summer of 2015. He'd been born with X-linked myotubular myopathy, so he couldn't swallow, sit up, or breathe on his own. He was much too fragile to travel. His parents had left him that weekend for the first time. Maggie's sister, Katie, had promised to take care of Bubba, so that Maggie and Anthony could attend the second biannual conference for families like theirs. Maggie had invited her aunt and uncle who raised her. They drove in from Iowa. Anthony's mother had flown with them from Florida. They wanted to meet boys with Lincoln's disorder and other parents going through the same ordeal. They also hoped to hear from the scientists researching cures. Maggie wanted to make the doctors fall in love with Lincoln so they would fight to get him into a clinical trial. Anthony hoped to learn everything about gene therapy how a treatment would work, and what would happen if it failed. In a mustard-colored meeting room beneath bright lights, the family sat in long rows, eagerly watching PowerPoint presentations, an hour-long explanation of genetics, a history of finding viable ways of delivering altered genes. One included a side of wishes, things parents wanted for their sons. Breathe independently. Hold head up. Swallow. Walk. Sing. Cure. Maggie looked at all the other families waiting for a miracle. Anthony took notes, untangling the science. He's a member of Mensa, a society for people with high IQs, and Maggie valued his intellect, his ability to solve the most technical conundrums. He was relieved the doctors didn't talk down to the parents and appreciated how they explained the pitfalls as well as the possibilities. On the second day, they listened to Alan Beggs, 
the researcher from Boston Children's Hospital who had started studying myotubular myopathy with Anthony Atala. They heard a French scientist talk about new methods she and her colleagues had come up with to inject genetically corrected DNA into mice. They saw a researcher who had tracked Lincoln's breathing at the University of Florida. And they went to a talk by an affable white-haired man named Martin Casey Childers, a scientist from the University of Washington, the doctor in the dog video. Most researchers work in sterile labs, far from the people they're trying to fix. The burden of coming up with the cure typically remains abstract and impersonal. Childers, instead, papered his university office with pictures of the boys depending on him. He kept their Christmas cards on his desk, next to photos of his own kids. His wife refused to come into the lab and wouldn't attend the first family conference. She couldn't meet boys who might not make it. But in 2015, Sherry Childers went with her husband to Chicago. She knew what it meant to him and how close the scientists were to treating the boys. I don't feel worthy to be in the presence of these amazing families, she told him. Sherry and Casey Childers met in high school chorus, just like Maggie and Anthony. They both studied music in college and, after getting married, toured the Northwest in a van, singing Christian songs, enjoying the nomad existence of traveling evangelicals. He'd never thought about becoming a doctor until his wife almost died in childbirth. As he stood there, helplessly watching her hemorrhage, he prayed for God's guidance, and he decided he could help, help save bodies as well as souls. After earning a Ph.D. in physiology at the University of Missouri, Childers moved to North Carolina to do research at Wake Forest University. There, he started extracting stem cells from dog placentas and trying to transplant them to grow replacement genes. He began working with Atala, who'd recently come from Harvard and had told him about X-linked myotubular myopathy. One broken gene could prevent a boy's body from making a protein called myotubularin. Without that protein, which connects the brain to the muscles, they can't move. With muscular dystrophy, for instance, muscles deteriorate. But with XLMTM, boys' muscles are undamaged, locked in a fetal state. Now that scientists had discovered and isolated the broken gene, someone could clone a copy of the correct gene and inject it into the patient. But finding a way to deliver the corrected gene into the muscle or bloodstream was problematic. Vectors from viruses like AAV make the best conduits because they replicate quickly and can insert the new in DNA into the nucleus of a cell. But they have to be modified so they don't cause adverse effects or trigger antibodies. It was the viral courier, not the new gene, that killed a teenager in 1999, halting clinical trials for almost 20 years. We kept writing grants. Our grants kept getting turned down with messages. Gene therapy is never going to work in this dog model, Childers said. I thought it was a complete waste of time. I was so frustrated. I was months away from just giving it all up. Then Allison Fraze found the chocolate lab in Canada. Childers had taken Nibs home where the dog slept with his daughter on a big bed in the basement. In a lab at Wake Forest University, researchers began breeding her puppies. Within months, Childers got a call from the nonprofit lab in France called Genathon. Researchers there had been testing a gene treatment on mice and had heard that Childers had dogs. I don't even know how word got out, Childers said. We hadn't even published anything yet. If he wanted to collaborate, the French scientist said, they would give him the viral transport they'd been working to perfect. Childers moved his dogs to the University of Washington in 2012 and brought his colleague from Wake Forest, David Mack. Together, they began giving Nibs descendants gene therapy. The Muscular Dystrophy, Muscular Dystrophy Association and the Joshua Fraze Foundation provided initial funding. 
A year later, the National Institutes of Health kicked in more. Our first test was a small dose into a puppy's leg muscle, children's told parents at the conference. He showed them video of one of Nib's grand dogs, a limp black lab named Rocky. Within three weeks, the strength in his back leg had doubled. We thought something had gone terribly wrong with the equipment, so we measured again, and the hair on my arm stood up. After six weeks, Rocky's one leg had become as big and strong as a normal dog's. He was lopsided and alive. This protein turns over so quickly, Childers said. The next time, instead of injecting the corrected gene into muscle, researchers tied tourniquets onto the hind legs of two other affected puppies and shot it into their bloodstream. Those dogs were named after scientists Pavlog and Turig. Within a month, the black labs were leaping over each other, chasing balls. Those dogs are now three years old, Childers told his wide-eyed audience. That one-time treatment seems to have cured them. You can't tell them apart from normal dogs. It's impossible to watch the dogs, Max said, and not imagine boys someday standing up and walking. That's my dream, he said. Childers talked about money and how a private venture capital firm was helping fund more research. There's still a lot to learn, Childers said, a lot of hurdles to leap. But now we can dream of things we couldn't even consider a few years ago. Afterward, Maggie rushed through the throng of applauding parents and leaned over the podium to hug the scientist. I'm Lincoln's mom, she said. Thank you. Thank you so much. She told Childers about finding his YouTube video, watching it so many times she lost count. She pulled out her phone and opened her Facebook page. She said, this is Lincoln. She clicked on a home video, handed Childers the phone. He saw the boy's flat face, his slack jaw. Lincoln was in his crib staring at the ceiling until Maggie leaned in. Then Lincoln folded his fingers into I love you. The scientist wiped his eyes. The last presentation of the day was from Matt Patterson, who pulled a conference t-shirt over his blue button-down and stepped to the edge of the stage. Three years ago, he told the crowd, he'd met Childers and a researcher from the University of Florida. They told him about their work and the promising results from gene therapy that they were seeing in the dogs. So I formed a biotechnology company, Audentis, Patterson told the parents. Our vision is to help develop treatments for rare diseases. With money from millionaire investors, he brought in $73 million so far, he said. He'd hoped to have a treatment ready to bring to a clinical trial by now. But getting permission to try a new drug is a long and complicated process. The product must be tested in laboratories and on animals and proven effective and safe. Then the sponsor has to present those findings to the Food and Drug Administration, along with a plan to start testing on people. If the FDA approves a trial, all that information goes on to the hospitals where the dosing will occur. An internal review board at each institution has to look over everything. If the IRB approves, the study can start. Once patients get the treatment, doctors monitor them for at least six months, then turn that data over to the FDA. It can take years for the FDA to approve a new drug and cost more than $1 billion. About 80% of all new drugs never make it to market. At the time Patterson was speaking at that conference, the FDA had never allowed a gene therapy treatment to be sold. Even producing the product, Patterson said, was posing problems. We're working hard on manufacturing. It's incredibly complex, but we're solving this, he said. It's just taken longer than we thought. It sucks. It's an incredible disappointment. He forced a smile but couldn't make eye contact with his audience. We have confidence, he said, that we can start in 2016. Maggie glanced at Anthony. By then, Lincoln would be three, double the time he had survived so far. So this chapter was our 
greatest challenge, I think. This is the one that um, kind of we, uh, this is really before Lane joins in and starts reporting. Uh, this is this this is playing out. And what we were trying to do here is, get, of course, get from, this is, uh, uh, again, pulling away from Lincoln for, for an installment while we take you to the science and get you from having found the dog to what they did with the dogs and how we're headed to the humans now, you know, and how to make that transition. And Childers, who ended up being also very willing to let you guys in to be, we, you guys flew to Seattle, you know, had a chance to, to talk to him, spend time with him. He invited us to his home for dinner. Yeah, yeah, he was very into sharing the science with people. They sang for you. They yeah. did. They wrote a song for these boys and composed it. Um but but the problem was that when uh, Lane and John Pendergraf, who's a photographer on the project, um, when they went to Seattle, this is years later. So we, Lane's trying to recreate what was happening in the years before. So actually for her reporting, we didn't end up using a lot of what she got when she was in Seattle because it was out of sequence. So John does use a lot of that in his video, and, and he's, he's able to incorporate it, and we did use some photographs, obviously, from our visit there to show you the dogs, Nibs. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Great, great grandpuppies. Yeah, whatever generation we're on. Um, but anyway, so we this was a real struggle for us, this particular chat. We knew what we wanted to cover, but we didn't know how we were going to pull this together. Until we found this conference, as that was our that was the brainstorm, right? And it was kind of a big deal that they went to this conference, right? It's the first time they leave Lincoln at home. It's the first time they actually get to meet these people that are making this miracle cure. So it was a really big deal. And um, Maggie said to me at one point in time, "I think I think there's some YouTube videos of that." And I went, "Oh!" Every single speaker was recorded on a YouTube video. So I sat home that whole so weekend. You went to the conference. I went to the conference. I mean, I sat home years the whole later. weekend. You know, it was this is 2015. So yeah, three years later, and basically took notes as if I was at the conference watching the YouTube videos. And I could stop and, you know, get the correct quote. And I could write down what color the walls were and what Matt Patterson was wearing. And it was a dream. It was like, oh, my God, you know, it's the next best thing to being there, right? And also then interviewed Maggie and Anthony about what it was like, and then you interviewed Childers about what it was like, and and, and sort of then wove that in, and then use this as the as the way to sort of fill you in on the science. Here's yeah. what's happening now. Here's here again was an opportunity where this thing could have been shut down if the this guy would have given up, but the guy kept going, and and then this venture capitalist comes out of nowhere and is raising millions of dollars. I think I'd like to cure an orphan disease. Like, okay. <laughs> like um, that, that really is, I mean, I, I know we said it before, but the, the serendipity here and the, and the kind of nature of, of how everything comes together and you need all of that to come together or this stuff doesn't happen. Nobody gets this cure otherwise. Um, this hotel, you know, this airport hotel in Chicago, which all these pieces are like, 
congealing for the very first time, you know. It also, I think it was, it was interesting to think about it from their perspective, too, because the disease is so rare. You know, it's called an orphan disease. And they feel so alone and isolated all the time. And now here they are with hundreds of other parents and kids going through the same thing. And I think that was very um, comforting to them and, and scary. And the opportunity to connect with these scientists who otherwise, which is another interesting part of this, because as you discovered, a lot of these guys, they spend their whole careers in a lab. Nothing they do ever kind of necessarily, it may move the needle a little bit, but it doesn't necessarily get you all the way there. So you spend your career trying to solve these things and you don't really, you don't connect. And here these guys not only are able to connect, they're able to meet the kids, the families that they may eventually help. Um, all because they were testing on these dogs back in, you know, and still paying attention to the dogs, still still trying to understand how the cure is working and what's happening. And, and how long it'll last yeah. and can they redose them. I mean, yeah, it's like it's no it's no longer theoretical. Right. right. It's, a, it's a real thing. And uh, I mean, can you imagine if you were a, kid, a parent of a kid with polio in the 20s or whatever and you meet Jonas Salk? It's like they're, they're meeting the guys who are going to, like, make this miracle cure. It's great. There's pictures of them all together hugging. It's crazy. Um, and here again, you had to be selective because there's not there's lots of researchers, lots of people who were involved. Really, in one, you know, you got people who were on the East Coast, you have people on the West Coast, you have people in France, you have people all over the world. Then you got the the drug company that you got researchers there too. Um, anyway, so there's a lot of and Childers. I mean, you like I think there were a couple reasons with Childers. Like you zeroed in on Childers because he was in the video. And he's the guy who's kind of front and center there. But also, he was just—he was very easy to talk to. He very—he's very emotional. He connected with these families. Right? Him and Dr. Mac both, yeah, they were intellectual as scientists, but they were so emotional as dads. You know, they both—they both. They both I, I know John and I high fived each other when we left that day. We made them both cry <laughs> during these interviews. It was like, how often do you see a scientist explaining this super complicated genetic stuff? start to cry, you know. That's in the video you guys can see. So, yeah. But it was it was also hard to let go of that. I mean, we traveled all the way to San Francisco and spent four days out there well, and toured the lab with Seattle. the dogs. I'm sorry, Seattle. Oh, we went to you San traveled Francisco to San Francisco too. Francisco too but, yeah. but you're right. See, so Seattle, we went out there. So I didn't, I didn't be, wasn't able to include anything really. I mean, I include the information from those interviews, but I didn't quote right. them in that moment at the interview. I didn't take you to the lab where the dogs are still playing. I didn't, you know, those scenes that I had in spades because I was there kind of got left on the floor when we decided, like, let's focus this all on the conference. And again, the, we're, we're doing two chronologies. We're doing Lincoln's chronology, which is ahead, and then we're doing the science and research chronology. And, you know, we started that with the phrases, and that gets going with them raising money and research, and then that leads you to Childers, and then, but that leads you to Childers at a time before you started reporting, and then where that takes you. So, but it made sense because if you get if you if you flop people around too much in the chronology, like th that wouldn't. I'm not even sure how we would have done it if you would have then been in the lab years later, and reflecting back. It would have been sort of forcing that way moment. out of order. Yeah, because yeah. they at that time didn't have all the answers that they had in 2017 when we right. went either. Right. So that's true. That's true. Um, but yes, so the conference was sort of a gift. I mean, it was like, I remember... It just get on YouTube, people. If you don't know, there's YouTube things out there of the most obscure things. And I, I was like, oh, it's, I'm there. But even but even finding it, like, because I, I know we were both anxious about this one. And, like, you were going off to write it and try to figure out, you know, okay, we knew what we had to get cover. And, and then it was like, oh, but wait, this conference, maybe this conference is the way to do it. And it really gave us a way in and out. And also, Maggie and Anthony are there. 
all our people are there in one place. Right, and they're connected. So again, even though we're, we know we're pulling you away from Lincoln, and so we know that you know you've got to kind of he's still he's still the star of the show. Maggie's the star of the show. And we want you to stick with him and be really into his journey and whether he's going to get the cure. But um, we also want to tell you how miraculous it is and how serendipitous it is and how every all these things that come together to even get to that point. So, um, yeah, the, the conference ended up being a, a real gift, I mean, as a way to, to do it. And the, way that they, the fact that they filmed the whole thing, yeah. And now you know more about vectors than you ever did before, right? I actually kind of think I understand it, which is amazing. <laughs> Which is I and you know we it's funny we were talking about whether whether to do a lot of graphics in print we have a couple interactives and in, uh, online but I think Lane did such a nice job of explaining it and it's really not hugely complicated when you get right down to it there's a broken piece on your DNA and they're trying to fix it and as as she did in part two she she references the ways they thought about going about it and then now the way that they're trying to do it with Lincoln's disease now but. Uh, Anyway, well, and, just... and I did for fact checking this time. I don't usually do this, but I sent whole sections of science to the scientists at the end to make sure I got it right because I was really scared. And they were more than happy, you know, to weigh in and help, you know, fix things and, and make sure that it was specifically e- exactly right, not right. just generically right. Right. And uh... and I felt much better going to sleep after that. <laughs> And we don't want people to get bogged down in the science, really. You yeah, I, I really, I mean, I get bogged down in science easily. And a lot of the science mm-hmm. narratives I've read, I know I piece out and just flip through to find the kid again. And so I thought, I want to make this as, as not only as simple and easy to understand as I can, but also that holy cow moment, you mm-hmm. know, like it really is amazing. It, it is. And, I don't, you know, the, the purpose, purposefulness of the way we, this is set up is to, to introduce Matt Patterson at the end, because... When we get to Chapter 6, which if you hang on, you'll see, we'll take you to San Francisco and we'll take you to his drug company. Um, but so we've moved from uh, here they were testing in mice to dogs and then how they figured out, you know, it was working in dogs. And then the whole FDA process, which is also, you know, really convoluted and, and difficult to understand, to then get to the point, well, the only way you get to, through the FDA process is to have a drug company that will spend all this money and get to that point to see if it even works. Um, the FDA was incredibly unhelpful. Remember, I spent about four days just trying to get them to help me walk me through the process, and they wouldn't, and they couldn't tell me how many gene therapy trials they were had going on at one time, and they couldn't tell me yeah. how long a gene therapy takes to go to market. It was, it was it should not have been that hard. But No. No. <laughs> yeah, it was not easy to get answers, and it was also like – uh, you know, one of the things as we were doing this, of course, is that they're in the middle of a clinical trial at one point. And how much can we report on this? And how much can people talk to us about what's going on? And uh, these companies are very much, def- you know, having a hard. They want to make sure they follow protocol. They don't want to do anything wrong. Um, and we had a whole few days of we had to go off on, on a tangent about whether people could talk to us or not. Um, of course, they can. Government doesn't limit what they can talk about, um, if, even if you're in a clinical trial. Uh, but that was another part of the complication here. Um, so in hindsight, do you like this story, this particular chapter better than you thought you would? Yeah, I think it, it ended because I was able to make it into a scene, even though I didn't have a scene. Right. It felt a lot better than just spewing science. Your YouTube reporting. Yeah. 
YouTube reporting was the bomb diggity. I mean, I was like there in my sweatpants and just taking notes and I could stop it and rewind it and get the quote right and then zoom in and see what was on the t-shirts and then zoom out and see what the color of the hotel was. And it was like, oh, this, this works. I'm sure words that have never been uttered on a podcast. YouTube was the bomb diggity. We tried to go. Do you remember we tried to go that next summer to the conference in 2017 and we went all the way up to the organizers of the conference who ended up basically like slamming the doors on us. Right. And at that point in time, I was like, Oh, yeah, we don't need you anyway. I got your YouTube right here. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that was before I got here. That was before I got here. You that's were, right. That's you the were summer traveling. before you came. Yeah. yeah. So, and, but um, as you said, so you went to Seattle. We didn't use the scenes, but you certainly, you probably got a whole lot more of, out of that than than you certainly would have done by doing it over the phone. And you got, you know, this connection with this guy where now he answers your phone calls and he'll, you know, they'll, we, even last week, we were sending them stuff. It's like, okay, check us on this. And and then we had to try to understand their science and their emails. But, um, but you know, the connections that were made. Absolutely. Were yeah, we had interviewed them on the phone before. Mm-hmm. We, we had the basics of what was going on from a phone interview, but we certainly didn't have the emotional connection and the knowledge that they had their offices covered with these kids' faces, right. you know, like that kind of the stuff that you see. The backstory probably that you got. Yeah, from... his backstory of why he became a doctor and their love for these dogs, how much they'd taken into their families. And, and of course, in only Elaine Gregory story, would you discover that that guy, the researcher, met his wife the same way that Maggie and Anthony met each other, which was, again, another nice, you know, there was so many things that were able to, like, come back and, like, okay, the human connections, right? The things that make us all... Yeah, the love stories, I think, between those three main couples, you know, between Maggie and Anthony and between Allison and Paul and between Casey and his wife, Sherry, and just kind of, it's almost like young love and then old love. You know, you you see how these people shore each other up and hold each other up through these really hard things, and they're on this journey together, and I think that's a special human part of the science. All right, so in the weeks ahead, we'll take you through um, the next part of this journey, and as I said, this is where actually Lane's um, you know, reporting picks up from when we, as we go on to parts five through eight, that's actually when Lane and John are able to spend a lot of time with them and follow it through. So um, it's, uh, it's quite a journey. We hope you'll stick with us. If you have a question about the series or any of these things that we've been talking about, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning as we continue to discuss Lincoln Shot. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan Gregory. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.